Hey, uh, welcome back. Uh, I got to say welcome to the folks that are in the room. It's so good to see you. I want to hug you all with a big, huge bear hug. Um, in fact, Lori almost can't contain herself. She's really struggling. She, she literally said, I'm not sure I need to go. Seriously, I'm not sure I can go without hugging people. And so how are you doing? Are you making it? Are you getting by? Okay, don't hug my wife. She's dying to hug people. She's struggling. Um, man, I didn't know worship was going to affect me the, the way it did this morning. I don't know about you, but have you seen that, that video of, of, of a dad with his little kid in, in a laundry basket, but on the screen is a roller coaster, and he's trying to make his kid seem like he's on the roller coaster? Worship has been good at home but it's kind of like we've been in a basket with the screen. Today it felt like we were more on the roller coaster with the experience. And, and so for those of you that are at home, we miss you, we love you, and uh, we're looking forward to seeing you again. But there is something very special about seeing God's people together, gathering together. Uh, that's what ecclesia means, the gathering of believers. And so it's so good just to be together, to hear your voices, to sing together. Hey, uh, it's good to be back, and uh, we pray that the this uh, virus will just continue to dissipate and God will allow us to continue to meet and our, our uh, folks come back as they feel comfortable. Listen, a couple of things I want to make a comment about this virus. Uh, some of you look like you're about to rob the joint. That's, a good, that's okay. That's all right. We have people with masks on. We have people without masks on. Either is okay. Can I just say that? Either one is okay. Uh, this is, I've read different things. You know, some of the government's saying that we need to wear masks. I read the other day that the Surgeon General is saying maybe you shouldn't wear a mask. So it's a little bit of both. And so I just want us to be careful as a church, whether you're watching at home or whether you're here in the service, let's not make a lot of judgments about people one way or another. Can we just come together as the body of Christ, be thankful to be together, and it, when you feel comfortable to come and be in this place, you can bring a mask or not, whatever the case may be, and uh, we'll trust that the Lord will hopefully protect us and we will be together and worship together. It's, just, it's so sweet to be back together. Hey, well, this morning we want to uh, get back into our series called Ecclesia, and uh, because you're here, and I'm so excited, I can't even sit down. I got to stand up uh, and preach this morning, and so I'm, I'm excited to do that. We've been in this series, the idea, this unbelievable idea that Jesus wrote a letter, seven letters to seven real churches, to seven real pastors. He gives those letters to the Apostle John to give them to a messenger to take them to these to these different churches around modern-day Turkey. Uh, Asia Minor back then, and each church receives different encouragements, different rebukes, different things he's proud of, things he's, he's angry with. Um, and so what's interesting is these were real problems in these real churches, but ever since then, every church in every century has needed to hear these things. They've needed to hear these encouragements, and they've needed to hear these warnings and these rebukes. And so we're no different. We're trying to learn from what the Lord wants of his church. We want to be uh, exactly who he wants us to be. Five of the seven churches receive uh, rebukes. Two don't. Two are just encouraged. Um, last week we talked about the church in the city of Pergamum. Uh, we talked about the fact that it was a very evil city. Uh, if you were a believer in Pergamum, you had to literally fear for your life from the Roman government and the persecution from the Roman government. It's a little different for uh, the city we're talking about today. We're talking about the church at Thyatira today. You didn't have to as much fear for your life. You had to fear for your way of life in Thyatira in a sense that you, were, you could lose your way of life and your work and your job uh, based on what you, who you were associated with or who you didn't. Uh, Thyatira is about 35 miles southeast of Pergamum. Uh, it's not a very well-known city. It's, it's, it's not really known for very many things. Uh, what it is known for are textiles. They made a lot of stuff. They made different goods and products. And probably the thing it's most famous for is its ability to make uh, things with the color purple. So they, they had some uh, dye, and they would make this dye from shellfish, believe it or not. And it would be this beautiful purple, and they could color clothes purple and different things. They could also make a red dye out of this root from this plant. And so they were famous for these dyes. In fact, you might remember last year, I believe it was, when we were going through the book of Acts, we, we talked in uh, Acts 16, we talked about when Paul and Barnabas come into Europe, into, especially into Philippi, they meet a woman by the name of, anybody remember her name? 
Lydia, right. They remember her, her, uh, this woman's name is Lydia, and it says that she was an entrepreneur, and she had a, a great business. She was a, a, a brilliant woman, and she had a business selling uh, goods of purple. She was from this city, Thyatira. In fact, some theologians believe that maybe it was Lydia and her family. The, the text in Acts tells us that Lydia and her family all come to know Jesus. They all get baptized. And maybe it's her family that picks up from Philippi, goes back to Thyatira, and starts the church. Uh, who knows if that happened or not. Of course, this is decades and decades later after her uh, uh, conversion to Christ. She was the first believer in Europe to come to know the Lord. And uh, I just I love that story and connection to Paul. Thyatira was originally a military outpost for the Romans. Uh, and the military were very big on uh, Greek gods. In fact, you know, we talked even last week, we talked about the fact that, that Pergamum had all these different uh, temples of different uh, demonic gods, Greek gods. Every, by the way, every false god is, is backed up by some demon. It's a false god. It's not a true god. And there is some sort of demonic empowerment in false, behind false gods. And the Greek gods are no different. So Jesus literally speaks about Zeus last week in Pergamum saying that Satan has a throne in Pergamum. He's speaking about the, the, the temple of Zeus, that there's literally a, a throne to Zeus or what Jesus calls the uh, throne of Satan. Well, in Thyatira, the god that they worship mostly there is Zeus's son. His name is Apollo. And he's referred to as the son of God, little g, obviously, right? He's considered the son of God in that area, and that's who they mainly worship. Because of all the textile production, uh, you had to be involved in one of these guilds. You've heard of different labor unions and different things. We have them in Detroit with uh, all the auto workers and different things. Well, in Thyatira, there were so many different textile productions, whether it be leather, uh, it could have been pottery, it could have been silver, it could have been bronze. Each of these different disciplines had a guild. So if you worked in that specific discipline and that specific product, you would have a guild that you would be a part of. And if you weren't a part of that guild, you would not work in that industry. It was just that simple. You, you had to kind of follow along with the guild if you wanted to work in that industry. And uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. We see uh, in this letter today from Jesus, he speaks to two different people in the church. He speaks to people who love him, who are obedient to him who honor him, uh, who are holding fast to his name and, and their faith in him. And then he speaks to a group of people who are not. In fact, they don't know Jesus at all. They're evil people, and yet both are in the church, okay? Can I just say that the church has been that way ever since? There are people in the church who know the Lord, love the Lord, holding fast to his name, and then there's a group of people who are not. They want to be connected to the church for whatever reason, but they may not even know Jesus as their Savior. It's been true ever since. This is the longest letter that Jesus gives uh, to John. Uh, it's probably the harshest letter given to John, potentially. Um, this is a difficult letter. Uh, one of the things I enjoy about the thought about this is not only is this one of the most insignificant cities, it's least thought of cities, there's just not a lot going on here, and yet we see Jesus write his longest letter and give his harshest rebuke. It's interesting. What, it, what that tells me is that Jesus doesn't care about the size of your church. He doesn't care. He doesn't care if you've got a cool, hip church with, that, with tons of people or if you've got a little tiny country church with a few people. It doesn't matter. He wants a purified church. He wants a church that will live for him. He wants a church that is serious about taking his name forward, holding on to his name, growing in his grace. That's what he's serious about. That's what he wants. And so the fact that he would spend as much time writing to this church as he would to these other great cities speaks to his priority to just uh, to, to be more focused on the health of the church than the hype of the church, right? Jesus is concerned about quality, not quantity. And that is what we want to be about as well. So let's get into our text this morning, Revelation 2. If you have your Bibles, we're going to start at verse 18. I'm not going to read through the whole text. We're just going to take this like you would eat an elephant, one bite at a time, all right? Because it's a, a large text, and we're just going to kind of take a few verses at a time. So let's start with verse 18. It says this, And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire whose feet are like burnished 
bronze. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord Jesus, you are so very good and you are present with us. You are here. You said we're two or three gather in your name. You're there in the midst. And so, Lord Jesus, you're right here with us. We don't worship some far uh, away galaxy God. We, we worship an intimate God with us. Jesus, you are here. And you're going to make that point clear even in this text today. Father God, I pray that we would see you for the true God that you are. Lord Jesus, the Son of God that you are over all and that you will protect your church and come against any enemy of your church in judgment. Lord God, I pray that you would lead us to all truth. Father, I pray that you would help me to decrease in this time. May you be seen and heard and understood in your word. May I decrease and Lord, may you increase. And Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would lead us to all truth and help us to understand these things. And we pray it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right, four things I want to show you this morning, okay? First thing is this, Jesus is the true son of God. Jesus is the true son of God. Verse 18, I'm going to read it again. To the angel at the church in Thyatira write, the words of the son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze. So we talked about this last week. Sometimes when we look at the scripture, we need to look through different lenses. We talked about the fact that we need to look through the imagery lens, the historical lens, and even the spiritual lens. What does this mean for me in my life? Well, the first one, this imagery lens, right? What does this mean to the Thyatirans for Jesus to say, I'm the son of God? Well, they, here's the city that worships what, what uh, most of them call the son of God, little g. They have a temple in, in Thyatira to Apollo, the son of Zeus. And so Jesus is making a point to say, no, 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 I'm the true son of God. This title would have made sense to the Thyatirans in that, in that uh, aspect. Uh, he says he has eyes of a flame of fire and feet of bronze. What is that about? Well, Jesus is referring to the description um, in chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1, John describes Jesus, he describes those two things. That he has eyes of flame of fire and feet burnished in, in bronze. Those are both images and imagery of judgment. Okay, those are judgment images. This, honestly, if you were to see this, you would be, and I would be, terrified. We would be terrified to see Jesus with eyes of burning flames and feet burnished with bronze, ready to trample out any enemy, any foe that would come against his church. Jesus said in Matthew 16, the gates of hell shall not prevail against my what? Church. He's not happy because there is an enemy in the church, and he gives a description of judgment, and it's about to get real for that enemy here in just a moment. Uh, his eyes also speak to the fact that he sees to the intents and hearts of men. He sees into our hearts. He knows what's on our mind, what we're thinking. Uh, this description is, is specifically judgment-related. Jesus um, is ready to defeat this foe. Here, the first thing is Jesus is the true Son of God. The second is this. Jesus knows your works and your growth. Verse 19. Look with, with me at 19. He says, I know your works, your love, and faith, and service, and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. Can I just say, as we've been going through these letters in Revelation 2 and 3, how I have just sensed with all of my heart the the intimacy of Jesus to these churches. He, he's giving this imagery and these descriptors of their cities, even little cities like Thyatira. He's giving specific imagery and connection points to these cities with himself. He's giving specific encouragements. Here he gives five different encouragements. Jesus doesn't just take the, the shortcut and say, hey, you guys are doing good. No, he says, hey, I see all of your works. Tomorrow night we're going to be doing the food pantry here, and, and it's going to be beautiful because those are going to be works for the Lord. We're, we're going to serve the Lord by trying to feed people who have a need. Jesus will be present. He will see our works as we do that. Then he says, I see your love, and he uses the Greek word agape, which means God's love to us, but it also means the love of God that we give to other people. So agape to us and agape to others from us. He says, I see that you're a loving church. He didn't see that in Ephesus, remember? 
but he sees it in Thyatira. You're a loving church. He says, I see your faith. You're holding on to what you believe. You're holding on to truth. And, and then he says, I see your service. Now, Pastor James in Jerusalem would have been proud of that because James said, don't just have faith and no works. James says, let, let your service, let your works prove that you actually have a faith worth something. So he's saying, I see you. I see your works. I see your love. I, I see your faith. I see your service. And then this last one is, is even deeper in an intimate sort of a way to me because he says, I see your patient or faithful endurance. Does that, does that resonate with you in that way? I just sense him saying, I know this has been tough. You've been patient. You've been hanging on. You've been with me. Thank you. Don't you just, I just feel the closeness of Jesus connecting to these people in this way. And then he says something that he doesn't say to any of the other seven churches, which is a really beautiful thing to hear as a church. And he says, that their latter works exceed their first. Their most recent works, their latter works exceed their first works, which means they're growing. That's such a good thing to hear. You're growing to be more like Jesus. You're becoming who Jesus wants you to be in your faith. You know, we have in our, it's over our door, it's in our mission statement that we exist to love God and all people by becoming authentic disciples. What, what that says to people who don't know us that well or haven't heard us say this that much is that we don't have it all figured out. We don't have any experts at South City. <laughs> we are all growing. We are all becoming who God wants us to be. We, we are all saved by God's grace and, and learning to grow in that grace. What a beautiful gift and encouragement to say, you're growing, church. That's what he says to the fire tyrants, you are growing. It's such an encouragement. Well, then Jesus turns his encouragement to a very harsh rebuke. Here's the third thing I want you to see. It says uh, that is Jesus won't allow his church to tolerate false prophets or false doctrine. That's the third thing I want you to see. He won't tolerate it, verse 20 through 23. It says, but I have this against you. Now listen, he's saying I have this against you. He's speaking to the church. He's speaking to believers. He's speaking to the very people that he just said, you're growing, but I have this against you. And this is what he says. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. So Jesus' rebuke here is to the church, and he says, the problem I have, you are growing, you are doing good things, but the problem I have is that you have tolerated this woman. So evidently there's a woman in the church who has significant influence. They've allowed her to teach in the church. They've allowed her influence, her, her messages to be, uh, to be believed. People are, are going in her direction, and Jesus is not happy about it. Her name is not Jezebel, most likely. Um, this is Jesus trying to show that she is like a person named Jezebel from the Old Testament. First and Second Kings gives us a description of a character uh, by the name of Jezebel. She's the most evil woman in the Bible. And uh, she was the wife to King Ahab. Um, she, uh, she was corrupting her husband as, along with most of Israel. She was encouraging Israel to worship Baal, which, by the way, to worship Baal was a very sexually perverse style of worship. Uh, so there would be prostitutes in the Baal temples. Um, she killed the Lord's prophets. She scared Elijah half to death. And her very name, Jezebel, is synonymous with seduction, idolatry, death, control. How many, how many have kids named Jezebel here? Any moms today with a there's a reason we don't name our children Jezebel, okay? It's because it's not a good name. It doesn't come from a good source. This was an evil, evil woman. Jesus is making this allusion to this woman back in the Old Testament saying that the woman in the Thyatiran church who is leading is like that Jezebel. She is evil. She does not know Christ, and she is leading believers away from the truth of Jesus. Now, one thing I want to make clear here this morning. 
Jesus is not coming against leading women in the church. I want to make that clear, especially on this day, Mother's Day. Lydia, this is just a few, Lydia, Phoebe, Junia, Judea, Priscilla, and many, many others were amazing leaders in the church. Amazing leaders in the church. In fact, the church wouldn't have moved forward without much of leadership from many wonderful women. So the problem here is not women leading in different roles. That's not, that's not the problem. The problem is that she was giving a message. She was preaching, which was outside the, the confines of Scripture for a woman. She was, she was preaching in the sense that she was giving us negative influence, and she was moving people to sexual idolatry and, and uh, immorality. So don't hear me saying we don't need women. We need you, ladies. We need you in the roles that God has given you and the gifts that he has given you, and we love you, and we, we couldn't be the church we're supposed to be without leading women. But this woman was outstepping her bounds, and she was an evil woman. One of the descriptors of this woman was that she was a prophetess, which means she could tell the future. You can imagine if somebody's in your church and they can tell the future, and you see some things getting, that are correct, that would give her credibility, right, in the church. Like, wow, let's listen to what she has to say. But can I just remind you that being able to tell the future is not always from God. Sometimes it's from the devil. In fact, in the same chapter in Acts 16, we don't only meet Lydia, we also meet a little slave girl who can tell the future. And the reason she can tell the future is because she is possessed by a demon. And we might remember that Paul uh, exercises that demon from this little slave girl, and then they kind of get in trouble because the slave girl can't tell the future anymore. Remember that story? So this woman is clearly supported demonically. She is uh, moving God's people and people who don't know the Lord in a direction away from the Lord. She's teaching uh, and seducing people. So I mentioned these guilds the other day, a little bit ago, about um, if you work in a certain discipline, whether it's leather or pottery or silver or bronze, each of these having a different guild uh, union, if you will. What this woman's basically saying is, listen, it's okay to be a part of those unions. See, these, these guilds would have celebrations in temples, uh, sometimes in the Temple of Zeus back in Pergamum, sometimes in the Temple of Apollo. Different, these were big buildings, and they would have their group meetings sometimes in these buildings. And they would devolve into drunkenness and orgies and sexual immorality and evil, unbelievable evil. But here's the danger, church. Listen, what she was trying to say was this. It's okay to just do our work stuff, and then we'll come over here and be in the church. She was basically trying to say that compartmentalization of your sacred life is okay. You can have sacred life and secular life. That's okay. Guess what? That's not okay. We're to be one person. When Jesus changes our hearts and lives, it's to change everything about us. It's to change us from the inside out, how we work, how we live, what we believe. Wherever we go, we need to represent Jesus because he's changed our hearts. See, this was my problem in this church when I was a kid, is I came to look like I belonged. I came to look like a leader. I came to sing and be a part like I was actually following Jesus when my heart was truly a long ways away from Jesus. I wanted to please me. And so what I did was I tried to look the part, but then I would come over here and live a different life. I was compartmentalizing my faith. And it's sinful and wrong. And here Jesus is saying, that cannot be. This woman was trying to teach that. It's okay to go do that over there. It's okay to be in the guild and then still be a part of the church. No, it's evil. Paul even made it clear when he said, whatever you do, whether you eat or you drink or anything, do it as, as unto the Lord. Let everything you do be in, done in such a way that you worship Jesus. And then, I love this, Jesus says, he gave her time to repent, but she refused. He gave her time to repent. In other words, evidently, somebody had come along in, in this church or in this woman's life, maybe it was the Apostle John at some point, had, had uh, rebuked her, <laughs> had said, hey, listen, you're, what you're doing is not right. You need to repent. Somebody had come along in the name of Jesus and, and rebuked her, and yet she refused to repent. That's, that's, that's a bad thing. <laughs> when the Lord shows you that there's sin in your life and you go, I'm doing my own thing, that's a bad thing. I remember I was 
uh, in a meeting here, a youth meeting, and, and I had plans to go on a drunken bender for the weekend with my friends, and the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart as, as clear as day and said, don't go. Don't go. And friends, I literally put my fingers in my ears like that's going to make a difference to the Holy Spirit speaking to my heart. But that's all I knew. I put my fingers in my ears and literally said, no. And I went on the trip and I almost died as a result of it. And thank God by his grace, he got my attention through that disobedience. And it changed my life. But I just got to say, when, when the Lord leads you to repentance, you need to repent. And when you don't repent, it leads to what's about to happen in this woman's life, which is judgment. Our sin always begs judgment. It always has follows. Judgment consequences always follow our sin. Always. No matter what. And she's about to face the judgment and wrath of God. I just love that Jesus' heart was that she was to repent. I, I wanted her to repent. He, he tells John, I wanted her to repent. That's the heart of Jesus. Even today as I'm speaking, his heart is that we be a repentant people. Not that we hang on to our sin, not that we hang on to our addictions, but his heart is to go, come on, come to where there's real life. Don't buy, buy into the false, but repent. She chooses to not repent, and she's about to face judgment. So then Jesus begins to speak of this judgment in verse 22. He says, behold, I will throw her onto a sick bed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead. Very harsh language. And if you notice uh, the style of what Jesus is saying, he's saying it for a purpose. Jesus says, I'm going to throw her on a bed. It's a sick bed. This, he's, he's saying, listen, I'm going to treat you this way. This is the way you've lived. I'm going to throw you on a bed. Except this is going to be a bed of sinfulness. The very bed that you used for sinfulness is now going to be a bed of sickness and judgment and pain. Can I just say, we bring consequences on ourselves when we sin. It's a system God set up in the garden. He said, Adam, don't eat of that tree right there, the tree of good and evil. Don't, don't eat of it. What happened? Adam eats of the tree, and then what happens? What, what did God say? If you eat of the tree, you will surely die. And so Adam eats of the tree, and he surely dies. The consequences of his action are part of his judgment. So in this woman... She's seeing part of these consequences of her sinful and sexual idolatry is that she is going to suffer now in that same bed. That's going to be part of her judgment. And then uh, he says, unless, speaking of the people who are being drawn in with her, unless they repent of her works. Again, Jesus is saying, I want people to repent. I want people to know truth. I want people to be drawn to my loving heart, not to my uh, judgment. Respond to my love. And so he, he pleads with the people who have been following her to not be devastated, not be ruined by this direction, but to repent and come back to Jesus. He's always holding out hope for repentance to you and to me. It's the amazing grace of God. Today even, today, he's holding out repentance as an opportunity for you. In fact, if you're watching, if you're in this room, and you're breathing air, this is another opportunity for you to repent. Right now, today. You may not have tomorrow, but today in this moment, God has given you an opportunity to repent. Well, then Jesus says something that's kind of a shocking statement. He says, I will strike her children dead. My children are the most precious thing on this planet to me. <laughs> and that is a scary statement. Number one, I want you to see that Jesus is referring back to this character in the Old Testament. Uh, God came to Jezebel and Ahab and said, I'm going to wipe out your whole family. And he does. He wipes out all the children. There will not even be a remembrance of your children. You will not have a lineage that moves forward. You will not have a future. And so Jesus is saying the same thing to this woman in the church of Thyatira. There will be no future of this message you've been preaching. There will be no a continuation of what you've done here. I'm going to wipe it out. That's, what he's, that's basically what he's saying. But he's also saying that I'm going to kill people potentially who are disobedient to me, which is kind of a hard thing to see and hear. But what's happened in Scripture that we've looked at before? In Acts, remember the names Ananias and Sapphira? Remember those names? 
Here are two people that were not authentic. They tried to deceive the church. They tried to hold something back and yet tried to be seen as something they weren't. And they fall out dead, which seems like a shocking judgment. But can I just say, God will not tolerate deception and evil in his church. He won't tolerate it. What about what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11 when he's speaking of communion together and he says, any of you who take this cup in an unworthy manner, you bring judgment upon yourself and many of you are falling ill and some have died already. You know that passage I'm talking about? 1 Corinthians 11. What he's saying is too many of us treat sacred things with a vain attitude. This doesn't mean anything. Sure, I'll just drink this without looking upon our hearts. Paul is saying, judge yourself, in other words. Paul's saying, take a look at your own life. See, is there any sin in you that, that you need to repent of? Is there anything that's keeping you from a great relationship with God? Be faithful to judge yourself and then take that cup and go, Jesus, the only hope I have is in the story that you have died for me, that you've given your life for me. And so I take this cup in remembrance of that salvation, of that propitiation over my life, that substitute that was paid for me. But Jesus is making a scary threat about serious, taking serious his church, whether it be in the message that she preaches or literally in the people who would preach this with her. After this threatening promise, he says, uh, in the next section of scripture, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart and will give to each of you according to your works. He's speaking this to the people who have followed her, the people who have bought into her message. He says, all the churches will know, which well, first of all, that's kind of interesting. In other words, Jesus wants all the churches to know what's in these letters. That right there is the one thing to consider. These weren't just letters for that time and that church. This, these letters were for all churches for all times. All the churches will know. But then he says, he refer, references back to the eyes of flames of fire when he says, I see into the hearts and minds of men. And for those of you that are committing these evil acts and you've bought into this junk with this woman, I'm going to pay you for your work. Your evil work will, will earn Judgment, that is what is going to happen. So just in the same way as what happened with Ananias and Sapphira in the early church in Jerusalem, a shockwave goes through the church. A shockwave of like, oh my gosh, they fell dead? Like, and it caused the believers to go, where's my heart? What, what's important to me? What, what, what I, I need to, to judge myself. I need to make sure that I am bringing a, 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 an honest an authentic sacrifice of worship. It's a scary kind of a concept, a scary kind of a, an idea. Jesus references all the churches affirming his desire to hear this message, but also to apply all these rebukes that he has for these churches. So he says, I'll give to each of you according to your works. And at first it gives me pause because I, can I just say, and, and I've said this before, but there are thoughts that I have that are evil. There are things in my heart that are evil at times, and it scares me so that Jesus can look down upon any of us and see our hearts and our minds. But can I just say that he is speaking to people here who have bought into her message, because when he looks upon the heart of a believer in Jesus, he doesn't see that sinfulness. He sees Jesus. He sees Jesus. Let me show you the work that he sees, John 6, 28. He says, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. See, the work we have is to believe in Christ and to trust in his work. What is his work? It's the work he's already done on the cross. He has already paid the price for our sinfulness. And when God looks upon us and he looks at the intents of our hearts, he's not seeing that brokenness and that sinfulness anymore. He sees Jesus. He sees Jesus and the work that is finished on the cross. Here's the last point I want to make as we begin to close. Jesus doesn't burden believers. He wants to bless them. He doesn't want to burden people. He wants to bless them. Look at verse 24. It says, but to the rest of you, right? This is to the rest of the believers, but to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching, 
who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan. To you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Hold fast what you have until I come. See, there were people who had bought into this evil doctrine this woman was, was teaching. And I'm going to kind of explain this from a theological standpoint just for a moment here. What she was teaching uh, basically had a couple of different sort of names. Uh, antinomianism as well as Gnosticism. There's a couple of different aspects that are a little different. But they believed that the body was evil. They believed anything you did with the body was evil. So it didn't matter what you did with the body. Yeah, you can go sin sexually with the body, it doesn't matter. All that matters are ethereal things, spiritual things. Those are the things that really matter. What happens in the flesh matter. Things that really exist, those things don't matter. Those are all evil. That, that was their message that she was preaching. And that's why she was saying, so yeah, you can be in church and do spiritual things and go over here and do things with your body that don't matter. It's not true, obviously, right? They're also very arrogant. Gnosticism is a uh, a very arrogant position where you believe that you have spiritual things that other people don't have. They, they believe that maybe you haven't quite reached where I'm at. Some denominations will even say, hey, you know what? Unless you speak in tongues, you, we don't know that the Holy Spirit is in your life. That's, that's a form of Gnosticism. It's a form of uh, leveling, hey, I'm, I'm just, we're just a little higher, right? It's wrong. It's wrong. Uh, in fact, Paul kind of speaks against this concept of these things in 1 Corinthians. Look what he says to the Corinthians in 6, 1 Corinthians 6, 18. He says, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Paul is going directly at that wrong uh, doctrine. You see that? Paul's saying, your body does matter. When, when you do things against God with your body, it does matter. It's sinfulness. Don't do it. Honor me with your body. You've been bought with a price. Glorify God in your body. So Jesus is saying to the, to the remnant of people who have not bought into this doctrine. In fact, he even uses the phrase that these uh, deceivers use, uh, the deep things of Satan. What a scary phrase. To those of you who have not bought into what they call the deep things of Satan, he says, just hang on. Hang on until I come. It's never Jesus desire to burden us. He wants to bless us. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Come to me, all who are, uh, labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see this heart of Jesus, even as he's speaking to this remnant of people that have held on with patient endurance. They have held on to him. They have held on to what they've believed. They've been faithful. And then he begins to make some amazing promises to those people. Look here at verse 26. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father, I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now the first section of this, Jesus is literally quoting scripture from Psalm 2. He's literally saying, if you're a believer in Christ, there will be a time where you will rule and reign with Christ. Can you even wrap your brain around that? There will be a time when, when we as believers in Jesus will rule and reign with Jesus. It's beautiful. In fact, he says in Revelation 1, that we go from slaves to kingdom to a kingdom of priests. In other words, Jesus is saying, listen, I'm going to give you the kingdom. You're going to rule with me. I'm going to give you the kingdom. Well, then he says something even more shocking when he says, uh, and I will give him the morning star, verse 28. What's the morning star? Well, look at uh, Revelation twenty-two sixteen. 16. 
where Jesus is speaking and he says, I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. So Jesus is not only saying, I'm going to give you the kingdom. You're going to rule with me in, in the kingdom and reign with me. But he's also saying, I'm going to give you the king. <laughs> I'm going to give you myself. Is there a greater gift that anybody can get than Jesus himself? Is there any greater thing that, could, that you could have? No. Jesus is giving the king and the kingdom to people who know him, people who hang on, people who are faithful in love. And then he gives the same uh, kind of warning and encouragement in verse 29 that he gives to all the churches when he says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So here's my question as we close this morning. Do we have ears to hear today? Do we hear what Jesus is saying, not only to the church at Thyatira, do we hear what he's saying to us? Four things. Number one, Jesus alone is the true Son of God. He didn't refer to himself this way very much. In fact, this is the only time he did it. He referred to himself as the Son of Man. He loved the connection to man. And he called himself many times the Son of Man. But here he changes his title to the Son of God. He shows his deity. He shows his preeminence over Apollo, over any God. Jesus is the Son of God in your life. And he would bring judgment against any enemy of his church. We need to remember that. Here's the second thing. Jesus is present. He is aware of our work. He is aware of our love, our faith, our service. And even as we hang on to endure, he's aware. This is an interesting thing that I really want you to think about today. He also sees whether or not you're growing. Are you growing in Jesus? I don't want you to shake your head. I'll just sit there for a moment. Right where you are, even at home. Are you growing in Jesus? Do you know him more today than you did a month ago or a year ago? Are you closer to him today than, than you were before? Are you growing in Christ? And if you're not, why not? What's the reason? Because he's not the one that moved away, I promise you. What's happened? Why are you not continuing to grow in your relationship with Christ? He sees that we grow. He wants us to grow. Listen, if, if you're not familiar with our church, especially those watching online, we would love for you to come grow with us. Again, we have no experts here. We're growing together, becoming who God wants us to be as believers. Whether it be a city group, whether it be one of our cohorts uh, in some of the theology and doctrine that we're studying, whatever it is, we want to be a church that Jesus would say, you're growing. I pray it's true of our lives as well. Here's the third thing. He will not tolerate false teachers, false doctrine in his church. He won't. And he holds us as the church accountable and responsible for protecting the church from that sort of thing. That's what he said to the church at Thyatira. He said, you've tolerated this. You know, the buzzword in our culture is tolerance, right? That's the buzzword. Well, we just need to be tolerant. And to some degree, I think there are some truths in some of those. But here Jesus is saying, I'm angry with you because you were tolerant. You tolerated the wrong thing. How do we as a church know what's the right thing and the wrong thing? We got to know God's word. We got to have an elder team who knows God's word, who loves God's word, who prays, who seeks the Lord, who is honest and accountable to one another, a church of people who are honest and accountable to one another. We have to recognize sin for what it is. We got to call it out in each other's lives. We got to live lives of godliness, not for some weird performance sake, but because we love Jesus. See, God doesn't expect us. He doesn't expect South City to be some perfect place. But he does expect us to be a community of repentance. He does expect us to be a community of authenticity, a people becoming authentic disciples. He does expect that. What about this sacred versus secular conversation in your life? It's easy to do. It's easy to put on a mask and go, it's time to go to church. Hey, don't say that. It's Sunday. 
I shouldn't drink that. It's Sunday. Right? We have these little things that are these weird uh, concessions based on secular versus sacred. Can I just say, if Jesus has changed your heart, if he has redeemed your life, be the same person all the time, everywhere you go. Be the same. People sometimes get frustrated at me, or maybe, maybe they don't, and I just think they do. You know, sometimes I wear tennis shoes, or I, I'll go to a, a, an important meeting, and I'll be in, you know, shorts or tennis shoes, and, you know, not, not dressed up, and I, I'm, just, I'm just being me. Because for so long, I was trying to be what the church, I thought, wanted me to be. As long as the church was okay with me dressing up and, and, and having a, a false heart, a fake life, then I'll just dress up. And I'll be dead inside. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm not dead inside anymore. Jesus lives within me. I am passionate about his grace and his mercy. He is all and all to me. And I'm the same person here as I am at home, Lord willing, as I am here or there in a meeting or whatever the case may be. Take the good with the bad. This is me by God's grace. Don't, don't draw a line in the sacred and the secular. Reconcile it even today if you need to and say, Lord, I want to be one person. I want to honor you with all that I do. Can I just say this too? This is, I'm going to close with this. This morning I was laying in bed. I was kind of in that state where you're kind of sleepy and trying to wake up and, and <laughs> When I'm usually in that, in that state, especially on Sundays, I just start praying for you and praying for the service and praying for the message and praying. So I just kind of started praying. And uh, this, this uh, I'm not sure this has ever happened. I felt like the Lord kind of spoke to my heart a little bit. And, and he kind of said, I felt like what he was saying to me was, take a look at this text again <laughs> and see what the church is and what the church is not. See what my expectation is and what it is not. So many of us have expectations on what the church should be or what the church, hey, I like this church because it has dot, 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 right? What are the things Jesus commended this church for? He commended them for their works, their love, their faith, their service, and their endurance. He didn't say, hey, I'm really glad that you guys have a pretty decent amount of money in the bank. Way to go. I worry about that, you know, as a, as a church leader. But that's not what he said. It wasn't on the list. He didn't say, I'm so glad you guys have a big building and a lot of acreage. I'm, way to go. You've made it. He didn't say, I'm so glad you have fancy lights and an awesome sound system. Way to go. He doesn't say to some churches, hey, great cafe, uh, great coffee shop, uh, way to go with the record deal right? Way to go with the worship style. I really love that worship style, and I really don't like that. He didn't do that. And yet, that's what we do all the time. He didn't say, way to go on that discipleship method. You're doing Sunday school. That's the one I really like. Wink, <laughs> right? No, he says, he says, I know of your works. Here, he, Jesus is saying, here's what matters, church. As the disciple of Jesus, your works your love of one another, your love of Jesus. You see, the church at Thyatira and the church at Ephesus were kind of opposites. The church at Ephesus was, they were theologians. They knew the word. They had been pastored by Paul and, and Timothy and John. Can you imagine? They were deep theologians, but they lost a love for Jesus. But you go over here to the church of Thyatira. They were not theologians. They didn't know the deep things of God, but they loved him with all their heart. There, there's a quote that I had earlier in the message, and I'm, I ran through it here, but I want to say it right now. It's from Daniel Aiken. He says, unlike Ephesus, their love had not grown cold, and unlike Ephesus, their love of truth had. Ephesus lacked love. Thyatira lacked truth. A healthy church needs both. Friends, that's my prayer for South City that we're a church of both, that we love Jesus and we love each other with all of our hearts and that we have a desire for truth and that we protect the doctrine, the theology that's on us as a church to protect each other from 
what the Bible calls wolves, false teachers, false doctrines. Jesus doesn't want to burden your life. He wants to bless it. Some of us still think, you know, I'm, I'm going to just continue to do my thing. And for whatever reason, we think our thing is somehow better than his thing. Can I just tell you, for Christians who are really growing deep in Christ, you've got to give in to, you've got to surrender to the fact that Jesus' way is the best. It's the best. Surrender your life to it. I, I obey, Lord, I want to follow you, I want to serve you because it's the best. Jesus wants to bless our lives. Maybe this morning you're sitting here, or you're online, and you're, you need to repent of something. Don't be like the woman who refused to repent. Don't place yourself in some situation of consequence and judgment. But fall on your knees in the mercy of Jesus. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for um, these letters to these churches. Each church different, just as ours is different than any church I've ever experienced. And we have things that we're strong in and things that we do well, and we have things that we don't do well and things that we need to grow in. Lord Jesus, help us to see the things we need to grow in. Help our hearts and our, our minds and our dreams and our goals not to look plastic. Help them not to look like consumer Christianity. Help them to look like mission. Help them to look like life transformation. Help them to look like real community with one another in a confessional, honest, life-on-life -life way where you change us from who we are to who you want us to be. God, help us to be a people that are growing in you. Father, forgive us. I pray if anybody is in the sound of my voice watching or in the room today and they need to repent, they need to just fall before you and say, Lord, forgive me. I agree with you that I have sinned. I agree with you that I have made a mistake. I agree with you that I have believed a lie. Lord, would you give them the courage to trust that your way is best and to repent. We even see in this story, it's your heart to hold out repentance to people who have fallen away from you, to people who don't know you. So Lord Jesus, help us to be a repentant people, even today, even as we sing this song, even as we end this service, may our hearts be a repentant, be in a repentant place, God, seeking to know you and serve you with all that we are. Lord, we love you. I'm so thankful to be here today with my friends. So thankful that, that we're starting to be able to come back to church. Would you continue to guide this process? Protect us, Lord, from this virus, I pray. And I pray that you would just continue to work in the lives of our people. Use this crazy time, an unprecedented moment in our history and in our lives to move us closer to you, Jesus, and away from fear. In your precious name I pray, amen.